You ready to start? I will start. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to Intersectional Conversations with Mujeres Profesionales. Today, we're going to have a very, very special episode and announcement because we are starting a new segment called Intercultural Discussions with Anna and Vanessa. Yay! And Vanessa's coming from us straight from the UK. Say hi, Vanessa. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. Um, I want to say hello to everybody listening, and I'm really excited to be here as well. Yes. Today, we will be discussing our experiences growing up with racism as women of color in our respective countries. As I already said, Vanessa's in the UK, and I am in the US of A. Yeah, and um, you know, as we've we've had a conversation before about it, it's yeah. a very important topic, not just for yourself and um, myself, but you know, mm -hmm. for everybody out there. Yeah, um, so I'm ready to be, you know, honest about it and speak um, in a raw manner about yes. what racism is, um, how it's affected my life. So absolutely, and for us, you know, in the United States, we don't know what it's like to be a woman of color in the UK. So I think it's also a learning experience, not only for our listeners, but for myself as well. Yeah, that's right. I think it's a good idea to compare um, yeah. our experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And before we do that, guys, you already know where I'm going. I am going to plug in the magazine. If you haven't checked out our magazine yet, please go check it out. It is latinachicaspeaksmagazine.com. And if you are interested into anything like recipes that are keto-based, uh, Mexican recipes at that, um, or social justice, or photography, or reviews on products for your face, for makeup, we have everything. Go check it out. You can also check out our podcast Instagram page at Intersectional Convos and our Twitter at Intersect convos or you can email us directly at intersectionalconversations at gmail.com Vanessa would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you yeah um I'll just quickly say what it is I do because sure. um I think listeners don't know my background so I'll just explain yeah. that um in a nutshell I'm a musician um yeah. I, I'm a vocalist and I'm learning how to play the keyboard right now so <laughs> I yeah and um the other thing i do is i'm a personal transformation coach so i help people to find their purpose and passion and help them to increase their motivation confidence and energy levels and yeah. you can find all this information um firstly on my website um it's got all the links to social media so that's www.soul-emotive spell e-m-o-t-i-v-e dot com and how uh, we connected, Anna, that was Instagram. And yes. That, uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> that, that's a, at um, Vanessa-Soul-Emotive. Um, and yeah, so all my links are on my website. Or you can just Google search me. Oh, sorry, <laughs> not Google. But uh, <laughs> you can use your browser. <laughs> yes, they can um, Google whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And if it wasn't for Instagram, right, a lot of us are attached to our phones and we do spend a quite a bit of time on social media platforms like Instagram. So I'm really happy that Vanessa found us in all that scrolling because this is really good episode, guys, and I can't wait to start. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Perfect. So our discussion today is on the experiences with racism growing up as women of color. Should we start a little bit with who we are and where we grew up? And would you, of course, my lovely guest, like to begin first, Vanessa? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, so um, I'll start with my parental background, just sure. to give um, yes. an idea. So, um, my parents are from a, an island called Mauritius, which is off um, the coast of South Africa. Yes. Um, beautiful island, very tropical, you know, lovely. 
Um, but I actually grew up in Manchester. So my parents moved in the 70s mm-hmm. to a, the usual, you know, reason is for work. Um, and they moved to Manchester. And um, so that's where I actually grew up. Uh, I'm not living there now. But um, yeah, um, Manchester is based in the north of England. So there's even actually um, a difference between the north and south as well in the UK. Oh, okay, okay. Um, is it a class difference? Is it a racial difference? Um, I would say that the closer you are to London, the mm-hmm. more ethnic minorities you have. Okay. Um, I think it's because in the 70s and possibly the 60s as well, that a lot of migrants moved to London and therefore mm-hmm. when they move there, then the families move there as well. So so in Manchester, yeah, when I say ethnic minority, we were really were the minority. Right. Like we'd be the only um, ethnic minority in, on the whole street, for example. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we'd really stand out. For sure. And if you don't mind, I'll give a little bit about myself and then we can get into more about you're growing up there right because now we get an idea of what it looks like for you right it's very a little bit isolating it seems like would you yeah it it was because um Mm -hmm. I mean we're going to talk about this you know we'll go into a bit more detail yeah (laughs) I experienced quite a lot of racism actually um even when I was from a very young age and my my father as well. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just quickly mention that he was actually held sure. at knife point. So when wow. he was walking down the street, somebody it was a skinhead. So skinheads in the UK, are, sure. uh, usually, you know, the um, they usually of ca- Caucasian race, and they shave mm-hmm. their heads. Yes, so I don't know if you you've heard of that term in yes, the US. I, we yeah. have, ironically, and and it's very historically you know researched that you know we have skinheads here in america who follow you know these uk um values on you know aryan brothers and um the aryan race right and the supremacist the supremacist race of the aryan um blood and so i think yes we we do have that and and we're seeing a lot of those what people consider outskirt groups, right, or or groups that are not popular or mainstream come out now. And I'm sure you've seen on the news the United States having these horrible incidents where these skinheads and and people who believe in white supremacy uh, attack people of color on the streets. And right now we're dealing with, um, you know, Asian hate because of COVID. And the way our past president spoke about um, the COVID and and about Asian the Asian community in general, which led to a lot of violence. So I think um, a lot of skinheads don't know the history of where they're getting the, it from, but definitely yeah. it comes yeah. from the UK. You know, well, I, I'm um, gonna I'm gonna let you into a little bit of history there about yes, skinheads. please. And a lot of skinheads themselves will be really shocked. The concept of skinheads actually came from Jamaica. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's actually a very right. um, Black culture history, and it became co-opted by these white yeah. skinheads, and people don't know that. Very similar to the United States when we talk about rock and roll and, you know, every, all this music, all these traditions, all these cultures get co-opted and get erased, basically, and people don't know that, that there's a history of people of color in in the history of skinheads prior to these white supremacist skinheads co-opting the, you know, the entire culture of it all right yeah exactly yeah and it's quite interesting that inversion of um an idea like you know for example you know that the nazi symbol Mm -hmm. which was the actual original symbol if you invert it was a symbol from the hindu religion it's which meant peace and love yes Yes. So, yeah, it's it's quite insane how they just take it and then invert it and then and make then it. invert it and then yeah. and then people put this entire meaning into it. If you're not from that culture, if you're not a Hindu or or know anything about it, then you would completely associate the swastika to 
to them, yeah. right? Um, and there's a lot of that in history, right, where things get co-opted from very positive aspects to a very negative aspect. Um, yeah, exactly. But I think it's what we're trying to point out is the irony that they're borrowing from people of color, the very people they are, you know, very against. So it's interesting. Right? Um, really the contradictions is. are there. Um, well, I will talk a little bit about myself since um, you did bring up our parents. I think it is important that I, you know, talk about the fact that my mom was a war refugee from El Salvador. Basically, um, she left the 80s war in El Salvador. And my father came from Mexico. I want to say he was about nine. Um, and the circumstances for him are very similar to what you're saying, which is moving for work, for money, right? Um, the family has to pick up and go. Um, on my mother's side, though, I think um, it's more intense, which is you're going to die if you stay here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think uh, a lot of that does pass over to us, right? Even genetically, there's things that I can't explain as to why I'm scared of certain things, yeah. um, like yeah. military fatigues. All throughout my teen years especially when I was in high school there was these um, military trainings these uh, classes that they had and I always was scared to be around them even though they were the very students I went to school with just them in military gear gave me a really huge fear and it wasn't until I learned about the civil war in El Salvador which my mom kept very quiet for a long time um, that I kind of understood, okay, this is a trauma that I'm, that I, is like my family passed it to me, you know, so this is why I don't understand it, but um, I can comprehend now why it happens. Um, so when I was growing up, we, we lived in uh, Inglewood, California, and that's a really, really black historic, like it used to be in the 50s, really white and affluent and middle class mm -hmm. and upper class. Um, and then uh, Black folks started migrating from the South to for work, right, to the West and ended up in California. And white folks didn't like that. And they left areas like Compton and Inglewood and Watts. So all these areas that people now know as being Black and brown yeah. are actually used to be very white. Um, so like my high school, when you look at the high school pictures of the past, they're all white. And we were like, when? Because the entire time we were there, it was all, you know, people of color, poor kids, you know, poor black and brown kids. Yeah. Um, so we could not even like we couldn't even imagine that there was white people only in our schools ever in time because we couldn't we couldn't imagine that, but they, they left. Of course, we couldn't imagine that. They left to places like Calabasas and Beverly Hills. So um, mm. we don't see them anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and in my block, we had only one white family. So when you talk about isolation, I think they were isolated, but they were very, very nice and they were very kind. And um, one of their the granddaughter was actually mixed with Mexican. So I think they were fine with the black and brown folks in their block, um, but they definitely were the only ones, right? Um, yeah. And on my street, yeah. we were, we, yeah. right, we were- I think that pictures from, um, like, just to add that, that was very yeah. experience to to where I was living because we were the only brown family. Well, we were class right. brown family. <laughs> um, right. Um, everyone was Caucasian there um, mm -hmm. and until you reach the bottom of um, there was like a main road which was called Worms mm -hmm. Road for those who know that area of um, Greater Manchester and right at the bottom you had because in England um, you know when I was growing up you'd have um, predominantly Indian and Pakistani migrants it's, it's quite popular okay. at the time in the north of England. And then you have yeah. some blacks in the, the city, but not as many. It was predominantly, the, yeah. what we call Asian. I know that's different in the US. Like Asian is usually, yeah. you know, like um, 
uh, China, Japan, Japanese, etc., Vietnamese. But Asian England, we use that word Asian for Pakistanis. Mm -hmm. Um, Bengal and Indians here and I was put in I did not know that yeah I was even though we've got African origin in fact we're very mixed I was put into the category of being Asian and culturally it's very different to what Mauritian cultures yeah absolutely it's it's different I mean even within the same areas there's differences in culture so uh, it's crazy i i mean and of course it's different because we're in different countries the way that race is um you know socially constructed by you know these different areas around the world but we can agree that there is this um solidarity between people of color because there is this huge white supremacist narrative that crosses borders right yeah yeah that's true um yeah so sorry i interjected you there you know you were telling me about um so the the family that lived um on yeah on my blog yeah, yeah well that was really it i think um i was just pointing out that instead of you had a very, very different experience than i did because i or even that family, right? I don't think they experience any kind of harassment. Like I'm sure you're going to share with us um, because they were just, they were, you know, they were left alone. You know, there was no problem with them, you know? Um, And of course that has a lot to do with, you know, how the system here works, right? There's no threat with white people. So leave them alone basically. But if it's any other race, then you should have an issue. Right. Um, But um, yeah, so I think that's it. I think I said everything <laughs> that I wanted to say about where I grew up and uh, my family and who I am, right? I'm half Salvadorian, half Mexican and American, of course. Um, but the next question is, um, what kind of experiences do we recall as kids or as teenagers growing up um, with racism? And maybe we can even dig a little deeper on how that impacted us, right? Um, Because it impacted us. I'm sure, you know, people know what we're talking about. There's no way you can experience these things and not have an impact even on just your psyche somewhere, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if if you like, I can give you an example of... um, Yes, please, you begin. You you are my guest, please. (laughs) Um, I mean, there are there are a couple of examples. Um, I'll just run through those briefly before I go on yeah. to the next one. So um, I did experience racism, um, not at the school, the secondary school. So that's what I think you call high school. That yeah. was, um, but it was more the examination uh, procedure. So um, I studied, I was a lang- language student. I did business studies, French and German for my A-levels at high school. Yeah. And um, I, I had an issue there, which I'll, I won't go into so much detail, but um, I did not achieve the grade that I needed to go to university because I had an examiner, which was external to the school. He was actually racist. And it wasn't yeah. me saying, oh, he's racist, you know. No, like, no, no. Card. You know this. You know it because... Um, yeah. Myself and another student were the only two brown people in the class, and we were both um, given low marks, even though we were the best speakers in German. Wow. So, and we knew wow. that and we had a remark, like, because you have the option to have a remark of your work. Okay. Like, it's like an appeal, like you appeal. You, you right. That's what I'm understanding you there. Yeah. So, I didn't achieve the grade that I needed to get into the university I wanted to go to. But, um, yeah. But then, because uh, of this, because of this man's racism, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's he was. He was. He was actually. I mean, was he German? I'm trying to remember if he was German or English now. Mm-hmm. Been mm-hmm. Both, but um, yeah, he, yeah, he marked. Um, you know, it's just one element of you know, like when you study a language, it's split into like mm-hmm. listening, and then you have speaking, etc., and writing, uh, right. Exactly. And it was actually the speaking that he um, gave me a very low mark. And that actually brought my grade down a level, which meant I couldn't get into the university I wanted to go to. Which is a good thing, because I'd chosen that university 
specifically because that is you know I had my heart set on going there um, and I didn't get into the course but I found another way around and I think that's the thing when you experience racism you become adaptable you find other ways mm -hmm. to get and so I found another way around and got onto a very small course. Yes. <laughs> um, and, then, and then that leads me on to like what I really want to talk about today, which is yeah. the, the racism that I experienced, which almost cost me my university degree, that I almost did not graduate because of wow. the experience there. So um, yes. In a nutshell, I um, I studied business and French at university, and uh -huh. the requirement was to spend a year abroad in France. So okay. I chose um, a city um, which was Strasbourg. So Strasbourg's on the border of France and Germany. Um, okay. I chose it because I wanted to keep up my German, so I could go into Germany quite often and still Mark. speaking the language. And yeah, it had a great international commerce school as well. So it was very, it had a, a good reputation. So I thought, well, you know, I'll choose this one. And um, so when I arrived, you know, everyone was friendly. It was an international school. So you had people from all over the world. It was wonderful in that sense. Yeah. And everyone was open minded as well. You know, they understood you know, they people from other cultures. Right. So they, yeah. they yeah. you know, had friends. People you have to be open. Yeah. You've got to when you especially when you're going abroad, um, you, you've yeah. got to be open to the culture there. And I'm I'm very open to all that, to be honest. So um, so uh, it wasn't a problem with the course mates and most of my lecturers were fine. It was one module that I selected, which was um, in French. It was called expression orale, which means like conversations in French. And you have okay. to present a topic to your class. So you choose a topic and, and then you do a presentation on it. I think it was about half an hour that you had to present. And I chose yeah. a topic. So the, the teacher that um, ran that course, she was, a, I'll just give a, a picture because you can't really see a picture. I'll describe, <laughs> no problem. I'll describe, Please tell I'll us. You, We're all in. Yeah, I'll give you like a, um, just a, a basic description. A visual. Like. And she was like um, quite a sophisticated older lady, dressed very well, blonde hair and blue eyes. And she supported... Um, she she made it very obvious that she supported the right wing parties. Um, oh. There was one specific. Um, I mean, a lot of people would have heard of this political figure. He was called Jean Marie Le Pen. He was very right wing, and she made it obvious to the class that she supported him because she mentioned him a few times, which I thought was a bit. Strange. Yeah, I thought, oh, she's really into politics, but you know, thought I'm not going to judge, right? Just if, if she right. about it, fine. Um, and then, so I actually decided to choose the topic of um, speaking about my parents' home country, because I thought that's an interesting topic, you know. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. I just want you to know that it is. I don't know what's wrong with this woman. Yes, it is. Yeah, and so I... I said to, to my teacher and the class that I'm going to choose Mauritius because that's where my parents are from and um, talk about the culture, language that they speak there and the, the food we eat, you know, all positive stuff. And I have to be 100% yeah. honest that I didn't put like all my effort for the project on that was more important <laughs> at the time. So I probably yeah. put about 85 percent into this topic but it mm -hmm. was still enough. and um do you know that my course mates you know we, we fed back to each other at the end after the presentation and they all said oh it's pretty yes. good what you you talk talked about and I learned a lot about Mauritius you know and, and like they said they'd never Aww. some of them had never even heard of the country so it was like really interesting <laughs> um but um when I received my grade I got 38%, which was a fail. What? Out of 100, right? This is yeah, out of 100. And I thought, okay. What? And you know when you sometimes doubt yourself and you think, oh, maybe she's just a bit strict. 
the um, right, right. lecturer. Maybe she's got high standards. But then when you compare it yeah. with all your friends in the group or your classmates, Absolutely. and they've all got yeah. higher marks, and the only other person who's been failed is also someone who's brown. <laughs> right. She was from Iran. She was Austrian-Iranian. And she was an excellent French speaker, and she failed her as well. And we were a bit what? we were a bit confused at first. We we're like, is she just strict with us or what? And right. I kind of brushed it aside. I thought, okay, I'm not going to read too much into it because she gave me another chance to um, to redo it. Yeah, but to do another topic. Yeah, and her feedback. Okay, was, you need to do a topic that's more serious than this one. That's wow. Yeah. So um, I chose, <laughs> you're probably going to laugh at this. I chose a <laughs> topic of genetically modified organisms. <laughs> oh, that's pretty darn serious. <laughs> serious enough, right? You know, so. Serious. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to put 110% into this. I'm going to get scientific journals and quote um, studies. I'm going to do some slides because in those days we only had projectors. Wow, girl, you did all your homework. I did all the homework and I, I put like even pictures of like cells and um, genetically modified um, organisms on the slides so everyone could see. You were you were on it. You were you were doing everything you possibly could, basically. Yeah, I put hundred percent into it, and I also had. I had two people who were senior, like they were more mature students at the university, highly intelligent, check my work for the, the grammar, for the uh, yeah. expression, like to, to see if it was, um, you know, 100% correct. So I made sure there were no mistakes. So I had two people check that, redid the presentation, and I got 39%. What? <laughs> what <laughs> it, was, it was like she was almost mocking me by giving me one percent more than the why even let you do it if she's just gonna be so biased exactly and so again you know you compare your grades to everyone else she failed yeah. the other lady again you know the um iranian uh, austrian sorry lady yeah um and we both got talking about it and we put it down to racism. We thought well, it's got to be that because we we knew her political views. Um, right. The other thing was, which was quite funny, there was another student. He was from Finland, blonde hair, blue eyes, very good looking guy. She was flirting with him. <gasps> during. <laughs> so she's about probably in her 60s and he's like 21 years old. Oh, my goodness. Flirt with him when she... When she handed out um, his marked work, she used to just flirt. It was so obvious, and oh my god, everyone, everyone in the in the class were talking about it. They were saying, "Oh, look at her!" You know, so people were aware of it. They weren't. They knew that she was racist, and they knew, yeah, because we, you know, I discussed it with a few of the classmates, and they were saying, right. "Yeah, she's definitely racist." And so there's no doubt about it. So she failed yeah. me, and then. Um, I approached her. I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and um, confront this lady, my lecturer. Yeah. I'm going to ask her why she's failed me. Because the first time, okay, maybe I didn't put 100% in to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the second time I did. So I asked her, I've got this mark and it's a fail. Um, and I said to her, if I don't pass this, I won't be able to go on to my final year in the UK. To complete my degree and she says yes i'm aware of that and i said to her, okay well i want to just know why you failed me with this because and i listed all the things that i mentioned you know scientific journal yeah slides all that then she responded and said um vanessa where are your parents from i was like what a strange question and i said well they're from mauritius in the <laughs> in the first in the presentation, presentation. You're not listening? And then she said, yes, right. Yes, okay. And she said, well, why is it that you don't speak French like a, a French person? And I said, what? well, number one, I'm not French. Number two, my, my parents don't speak French. They speak Creole, which is a broken version of French. You know, it's a patois. They call it a patois. 
Um, and I yeah. said, and then I said, well, thirdly, it's beside the point, isn't it? You know, I, I also speak German, but I didn't learn that from my parents. And so she kind of was a bit silent. And then I said to her, well, okay, so you failed me. Um, can you explain how I could have improved this? And I knew, I knew that she was being racist about this. I knew it. This is our small break in between episodes to let you know about our sponsors. Um, yeah. So, as I mentioned, she said, um, I think I, I'd asked her, well, what is it that I needed to do to pass this presentation? And right. she then said, well, you could have used more visual aids. Right? What? And I was like, well, and I said to her, I provided the, um, like the slides via the projector right. with all the diagrams. And I said, well, what else do you think I should have provided then? She said, well, and she was just thinking of something random, you could tell. And oh, said, good job, Vanessa. Get her. Yeah, I, I just thought, you know what? I'm not having this, right? I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna question her. You've you've always got to question these people. And even so, if they fail us, we're gonna challenge them because yeah, it's not yeah, you, have to, you have to because th this is I think it's the best way to approach anything is to question it when you don't know what Absolutely. the reasons are. And so yeah. I asked her, you know, like I said, what what is it that you thought I could have done to improve it? And she said, well, you know, like the, a box of cornflakes, they're genetically modified organisms, aren't they? You could have brought in a box of cornflakes or something like that. What? And I was like, what? What kind of ridiculous um, feedback is that, you know? Yeah. So I left it there and I thought, I'm not going to get anywhere with this woman. You know, she is mm -hmm. obviously racist. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to yeah. pass me. And my friend, you know, the um, Austrian-Iranian lady, she mm -hmm. she had the same words with her and she got some, you know, BS excuse. Of, <laughs> of, um, mm -hmm. Yes. So we both Sounds went like it. Yeah, and, and we both went to our personal tutor because, you know, at university you have, like, you're allocated a personal tutor if things go a bit wrong or you need a bit of guidance. And okay. We had a lady um, who was allocated to us. She was from Spain, really warm and friendly, very lovely lady. And we reported it to her, what had happened. I mean, I we, we did it individually. So I went in and I said, well, uh, I've been failed for this um module i'm not able to finish my degree unless i pass this and right. she'd already been informed so all my course mates well majority of them had a word with her even before i got there and told Aww. her that, that the teachers are racist <laughs> so they, they yeah. wonder of it and she said i'm aware and she said don't worry we're going to pass you so you don't have to worry about that. And we're also going to fire her. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I know. It's like, I don't normally like the concept of people being fired, but in this. Fired, I know. But this yeah. woman was making him, you know, when you are keeping people from getting to where they need to get to, that's a problem, right? You can be biased yeah. in, you know, buying coffee or something and that's you know your own prerogative I guess but when you're keeping people from their own livelihood a career to make you know to make a living that's not right you know no, not at all not especially at all. when school isn't you know isn't it's it's not easy and you're making it this much harder and with an obstacle that should not exist yeah it's I mean I, I had a, a quite a difficult time at university for other reasons, like my parents got divorced the following year and there were lots Aww. of problems. So, you know, to ha have this happen on top of it all, right? it was like that's, that's very stressful. heavy, very, very heavy. But I'm just glad that it turned out okay because who knows where I'd be today if I didn't graduate. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, like, because I'm quite resilient, I would have found a way around the situation. But then yes. still it's, you know and um yeah I'm just glad like I said I'm glad it ended up okay and managed to move forward but the thing is I didn't really communicate this to my tutor at home like in the UK I mean when I went back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And I kind of wish that I did. There's a lot that I didn't tell my personal tutor about what was going on in my life. And I didn't make the grade that I eventually I ended up getting a lower grade than anticipated. So I think my advice to listeners out there is to inform people, you know, when you're going through hard Mm -hmm. things, not to be ashamed about communicating. Yeah. Um, whether it's school or university, even if your tutor may not be on the same page as you, it's still on record because right. they'll have to record that somewhere. So it's yes. to just even tell them anyway. And I wish I had done that because um, I ended up not getting onto any of the graduate schemes um, for work afterwards because I didn't get the grades that I was meant to get in the final year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so it was kind of good and bad at university. It kind of things went well, and then it was yeah. Good. But I guess that's life, right? And that's what builds resilience. I was going to say yes. That that's the difficulties of being in the positions we're in, right? That we have to deal with not only racism, obviously, um, but then our own lives, our parents, our you know, our yeah. our relationship our sanities right because even when we talk about all these issues we're not even talking about ourselves right what are we going through so um college was really hard for me in the same way as as you that um a lot was going on not only in my schooling but in my life that made it 10 times harder to focus to discipline myself to do things because emotionally I was detaching really fast right and I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we do shame ourselves thinking that you know um, other people go through the same thing and I need to like you know toughen up and and just do it and then you find out later that no you know these things are not normal and um, you you should look for help you should ask for help there is like I think it's changing in society but the for many people, especially if you're old school, there's that no soldier on. You've got to toughen up, you, you know, just keep going. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, people who give that advice, it's because that's what they had to do in that same situation. Exactly. Right. Um, so I did want to share one of my memories, which is um, I was a bit younger than you, right? I was in high school, yeah. which is what I'm getting is secondary school for you guys, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. Secondary school, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I was a teenager and I want to say it was like towards the end of my time there. And um, I was really good at math during my time in high school. So um, one of my teachers really saw that and he was like, hey, I don't understand why you're not in, you know, the more upper level classes, which are considered um, advanced placement or honors classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know why. Uh, and so the following year, I found out that he added me to these this upper division math class. And um, I didn't want to go, first of all, because I knew um, it was going to be different the way that students are treated um and so when I was in there I remember um it was this white teacher and most of the time he was talking about his son who was a football player and was like uh at Loyola Marymount University which is this really prestigious private college and in America you know that football is life so he felt like he had he had a trophy son, basically, you know, so he couldn't shut up about him, which is fine. I'm very happy that he was such a proud father and supportive because you need that in life. But he wasn't a supportive teacher, you know, mm. for me. Um, and in the class, we only had one white student. And in the entire school, I want to say we only had maybe a handful of white students and all of them were from working class. So um, they didn't think they were. They, they weren't snobby. They weren't like, oh, I'm better than you type of, if anything, they were like, I love black and brown people. And I don't, you know, and this is where I want to be type of thing. Um, And so this uh, white student um, was getting all the attention and he could do no wrong. And he always knew the right answer. And so he was just like his, 
you know, you know when you have a teacher who loves a particular student, yeah, you knew he yeah, loved like the star pupil of the class. Right. So you tell. Um and I remember telling my dad, like, this guy, he doesn't help me. He doesn't want to help me after school. And um, and I'm, like, getting lost. And he was like, okay. And my dad was very strict about school. Um, both my parents, I will say, um, you know, don't have college degrees nor the college background, right? Yeah. They didn't same, make it that Same here, well. actually. Yeah, same. Yeah. So... Um, in terms of like feeling smart or intelligent, there is an issue there with my parents, but I think they're very smart. So um, he was very persistent about, hey, you're going to be smart, you're going to go to school and you're going to be, you know, you're going to work on your brain. You're not going to work your back and you're not going to, you know, break your back for these jobs that we do. You need to, you know, go do some something that's not going to harm you this way. Um. And I remember I told him, okay, this teacher is really, I think he's racist, first of all. And second of all, I, I'm failing and um, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, I've asked for help and he doesn't, he doesn't care about me. So it was, a very- you know, just, and also for the purpose of the listeners as well, like, yeah, give an example, you know, when you went to ask him something, mm-hmm. okay, like, yeah, do you have an example? He would. Yeah, like when I would ask for help, he would just say no, like because other students, of course, um, had tutors or something that they did and I didn't. So I would say, hey, can I come after school and you help me? And he would say no. And so it was obvious that he didn't want to put any extra effort for me. But even in class, when I was struggling to do whatever problems he had on the board, the issue was always if you don't get it the first time I explain it, then you shouldn't be in this class at all. And that's what to him being in a gifted or advanced class meant that you were some kind of like genius who just needed to hear it once. And then after that, you should be able to do it. Wow. Um, and he's very militant as a person. Yes. So for me, you know, so when my dad, okay, so there was finally a teacher parent um, conference and I told my dad everything and I think part of him wanted to not believe me because, you know, I was so young. Um, But another part of him had a feeling that I was right. Yeah. So when he went, I was with him and um, the teacher basically told my dad the same stuff. He had, he had no shame. Basically he was just as, you know, mean and dry as he was with me, with my dad. So um, he was basically like, you know, your daughter shouldn't be here. She's n- not good at math. And um, I don't know why she's here. And my dad was like, well, she always aced her math classes. Like, this is the first time she's ever struggled. And I just want to understand what I can do to help her. And why can't you help her? And he was like, because that's, I'm, I don't want to, I don't need to, I don't want to, and I'm not going to. And I remember my dad's face was like, what? And he looked at me and I remember I was like, oh, he's angry. My dad's angry, you know. And I remember he got up and he was and he told him, you know, you're a fucking racist. And he said, you know, my daughter is going to fail your class and I don't have a problem with that. But I'm going to tell you that you are, you know, a piece of shit, basically, and that you have treated my daughter very badly and you don't deserve to be a teacher and you know you know basically you're a fucking asshole and I just I remember sitting there and I just I don't remember the exact words but I remember thinking damn my dad just cussed at this teacher you know (laughs) um but he deserved it of course right um but what I learned when we walked out and he and he said you know it's okay you're going to take this class over and you're going to ace it. You know, I know you can, um, you know, fuck this guy and fuck him. And, you know, we're going to forget this. And I said, okay. But what I now looking back, I realized my dad was teaching me to defend myself. Yeah. You know, take because yeah, from anyone. Yeah. Because in college, 
you don't have parent teacher conferences, you know, he, and it was, it was very close, you know, I was maybe like a year or two away from it. So I think he was preparing me to defend myself. He knew these white, you know, educators were going to actually be dominant at the college level, that this man was just a very, very minuscule example, because I'm in a public, you know, black and brown school. Yeah. But that once I went to college, I was going to experience more of this. And I needed to understand what was right and what was wrong. And, you know, when someone is using my race to belittle me, you know. Um, And I remember I took that class in the summer, Vanessa, and I fucking aced it. I took it with this sweet man, Mr. Wynn. He was a man of color and he was Vietnamese. Um. And he was super sweet and I aced it. And he was like, I have no idea why you failed the yeah, first time, really you know? Yeah. Um, so he yeah, was supportive. So, and um, did he, did absolutely. anyone like report this teacher then? Knowing, because you aced no, or they just. Yeah. No, no. Public schools here are so interesting. Like they can get complaints and it takes a lot to get rid of a teacher like that ironically I I feel like teachers who do more than what the schools uh tell them to who are like absolutely helping poor kids get through high school and maybe even get to college get reprimanded and actually get fired I had two teachers go through that who were doing you know everything they could having after school workshops for us and taking us on field trips and just like motivating us to go to college and the school came down on them because obviously that wasn't happening for other kids so you can't do that for one you know one group of kids and then not do it for the entire school because then it looks bad so they fired them and instead of thinking hmm how can we create this into a program Hmm, how can we make what you're doing into something that we could do forever no 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 it's fire them and let's keep doing Mm -hmm. what we've always been doing which you know actually is crap because we a lot of us don't end up in college a lot of us end up dropping out going to jail you know um having shitty jobs um so it sucks you know but i think um mr win and other like one of the teachers i'm telling you about they really helped me see that I had value and that I was, you know, capable of going to college. Um, and my dad included was like, you're going to college. I had, we had no fucking clue how we were going to get there, but I had to get there. Um, and so those are the things that I, that's one memory I have that I always go back to actually, because, um, you know, my father passed away a few years ago, but I think he always was a, a person who fought for himself. He was an immigrant, yeah. you know, and he always had to defend himself and and make sure that he wasn't deported because he had a daughter and he needed to be here. He needed to raise her and he he couldn't leave back to Mexico, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that towards the end, um he was like, "Hey, if I get deported, I'm not coming back." Yeah. And I see. I think it was I, like, okay, you know, it was you. like okay. it was it was it's a good story to yeah. hear that, you know, he fought for you and you know, he went through his right. own struggles and then he, he wasn't going to take, you know, because you were a teenager. It's not like, you know, when I was at university, I was a bit older so I could stand up for myself. Right. But when you're a teenager, it's, you know, you're still a child really, aren't you? Yeah. And you don't know, and you don't know, you know, you have, like you said, you have a feeling this isn't right because you know you're getting treated differently and you know it, re- and for some reason, you know it has to do with your race, you know, and it sucks because these are the kinds of things that create trauma and PTSD on us, you know, and, and people don't understand why we go through these, these issues because why, why can't you just brush that off? Well, I can't, I can't because this man was in my way of getting, you know, into college or in, into the next map class or into whatever I wanted. And this man just didn't give a fuck. You know, he was like, I don't care. I'm not even going to help you. And I still don't care. You know, and it's like, wow, like as an educator, you should care. You should care that a student is failing your class and wants to not fail your class. If it would have been different. And if I was like, oh, I don't give a fuck, you know, and I don't care about Mm. this class. But I did. 
you know, and I wanted to pass. So, I mean, do you, do you, you feel, know, Anna, that now, because um, my experience in the UK now is that racism's become more mm-hmm. covert. So back in our day, it was mm-hmm. more in your face and you'll be told, yeah. like, you know, I, I was called names. Like in England, the names they used for me were Paki and Nigger because they weren't sure because wow. I've, you know, my features are kind of mixed. I've got mixed background. So mm-hmm. I've got a very African nose, yeah. but the rest of me is like Indian. My hair is like Indian hair, for example. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I got called both. So they didn't know how to categorize you and make you feel yeah, like shit. Yeah. So they just so went whatever, for whatever, you know, whatever they could find to just make you feel terrible. Yeah. Um, but I think these days it's a lot more covert because people are more mm-hmm. educated about other cultures and races now. But the ones that I, I feel yeah. that racism comes from, like if you're the perpetrator, it comes from fear. Like you're you're in fear state, right. and that's why they act irrationally because they're just in fear. They're worried about something about that race that's going to happen to them, so they act irrationally towards those people. Um, I'll give you an example right. of like I go running sometimes <laughs> when I can motivate myself, and you know, it's like <laughs> an affluent area at the moment. Um, uh, like, well, the flats that I'm in is kind of the cheaper end of my area, <laughs> but when I go running, I just okay. run around the block, and um, there's been a couple of instances where you get someone like not so much at the moment because of covid so people are backing away but just prior to covid you know i'd get people stopping and saying like in their cars saying can i help you at all you know and you're just like because you're not supposed to be there it's like as if and that's all based on fear like they're probably fearing Mm -hmm. there to go and steal something or to cause trouble and it's quite obvious i'm in like my jogging gear i've got trainers on yeah, um, I'm out of right. breath. I mean, why else would I be there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they so, think that you're just some really good, um, you know, you're just camouflaging yourself to be, you know, a robber who's in workout clothes to steal yeah. stuff so you could run faster. Yeah. And I don't you know? have a car or a van with me, you <laughs> but, know, I'm just running around. I'm just going to, right? You're just running, <laughs> just right? Ridiculous. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you if you heard about what happened here in the United States where there was a black man running, jogging, and um, these four white men in two trucks began to harass him and tell him why was he there and what was he doing, and eventually shot him and killed him. And they're in, and they're in jail now. They've gone into trial. But um, it took a long time for them to release the videos because these people were taking video. They thought they were again, Trump era, um, they felt very brave to say racist things to this man and continue to criminalize him as, as if he wasn't allowed to be where he was um, and killed him. So these things, of course, I do feel like over time, over the decades, they did become more covert. But lately, because of this crazy past president we had and the way he riled up these white supremacist Aryan brother groups or groups who feel very superior to other people, and even politically, I guess, in political parties, they're crazy too, um, it just became very violent, you know, and... Um, I think in those ways we we're seeing it right but I think you're very right that there is a lot of covert things happening as yeah. well I think there's um, I think in general though I have to be honest in my life and I, you know I'm not yeah. accounting for anyone else yeah. um, I feel that people yeah. in the UK that I've met personally and in my social circle and through work are a lot better you know in understanding other cultures and other races now I think a lot of it is either covert or people are genuinely ignorant so I'll give an example of that is in an innocent ignorance right like not a aggressive ignorance but an innocent it's kind of like they're not aware that like you know 
because when I speak right. about it then it brings awareness and they're like oh gosh you're right you're right so right. like you know because I run a business I, I used to go to networking events and before I lived in Cardiff which is where I live now I was in Bristol which is not too far away yeah and um all the networking events I went to I was generally the only ethnic minority there I found that so bizarre because Bristol is a bit more cosmopolitan than many other places and I didn't understand yeah. why it's like why am I the only ethnic minority and sometimes I felt I wasn't being heard when I spoke anyway and I think a lot of that is yeah. to do with what they're used to you know they used to um congregating of people uh -huh. um, and it's not like they have anything against right. me as such but they're, they're not aware of it I did raise it to a few people's attentions in different you know like they, they run organizations to um, combat racism and stuff I, I raised that point to them and they said no you're not the only one who's said that but it was just bizarre to not see yeah. more ethnic minorities in Bristol attending networking events and um, and why yeah why nobody from um, an ethnic minority background was at the forefront leading anything um, innovative or entrepreneurial. Um, they even had a separate group actually right. for, um, you know, in, in England, we call it BAME. Um, so anyone who's, um, so I think it stands for black and Asian minority ethnicity or something like that. So that's the, that's the group that we're placed mm -hmm. under now. I don't quite like that term to be honest, but it just is what it is. But it's supposed is it supposed to be more politically correct in London? Is that the attempt? To me, to me, the political correctness. Okay. Like, I'm not really down with that. If I'm going to be honest with you, for me, what's important is the results. Yeah. It's like what are you doing to change um, neighborhoods? Absolutely. Like, you know, I'm just going to be honest. Like Black Lives Matter, and it's quite controversial. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering what is really being done in that group. I used to support it, and I was like, yes, but. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, if you're going to really empower yourself, you've got to come out of the victim mode, no matter how difficult it's been for you, your family, your ancestors. If you're always in that victim mode of, oh, this is always happening to me, then you, you've got to perpetuate mm -hmm. that. So I would prefer to see groups that actually focus on, you know, black empowerment, Latino empowerment, you know, the empowerment like to actually get you out of that, yeah. that victim mentality and actually do something and educate yeah. people because for me like you know I'm sure many people might disagree but I don't know what Obama's done what Black Lives Matter's done and all those organizations to truly mm -hmm. truly at grassroots level make a change for mm -hmm. people who are neighborhoods that I don't have opportunities. What what's yeah. really been done? And if if someone can send me evidence yeah. of like a massive change, I'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll take that back. But I'm not seeing it. I'm yeah. seeing the same problems happen yeah. again and again. Whoever gets elected, it's the same old problems occurring. Like there needs to be yeah. something real. Like we need a Martin Luther King back. That's what we need. You know, yeah. who truly wanted to effectuate yeah. change. So I think we have to look at. Who are we voting in? Who are we? Who is it who we are looking to as our leaders on this planet to make changes? They have to be people who truly, truly want to make change. I think that's where it all happens. I agree. And and I think Black Lives Matter has a complicated history here. I think it's like we talked about co-optation yeah. right because black lives matter does come from a grassroots movement it does come from people who have been doing the work in the community who have been you know doing groundwork from from ground zero and not getting recognition for it um and then you see this black lives matter movement get recognized and yes it gets co-opted especially by white folks who you know all of a sudden just wearing t-shirts and and that's yeah. where it becomes depoliticized yeah. Yeah, right agree. there it came yeah. from a very political grassroots and I when I say political I don't mean it comes from a democratic and republican place no it comes from the the the, the politics of 
where we come from. So when you talk about Martin Luther King, you're talking about the, you know, um, civil rights movement. When you're talking about Black Panthers, um, Brown Berets, who were all about the empowerment movement, all about loving yourself for being Black, for being Brown, taking all those negative stigmas, that's the 80s, the 70s. And then, you know, you start to see uh, a more like, a, I want to say angry, but it's not bad. But a generation that just feels like there's not enough that has been done. And Black people are still being killed by police. And, and I think historically, if I can just mention that all the riots, like the LA riots of 92 and the Watts riots of 1968, they were all a result of police brutality mm -hmm. on Black yeah. people. And so when you have these histories these elders are still alive. And so when they saw George Floyd get killed and Eric Garner and all these black men for these last decade getting killed for doing nothing, basically, um, is painful to watch because during the Black Panther movement in particular, people died because the FBI and the government killed them. So a lot of these people quit being Black Panthers because they were traumatized because everyone was dying and they were attending funerals. Yeah. That's where the movement went. You know, that's how the movement died. They died. Yeah. It wasn't that we disappeared and decided we were not radical anymore. We died. So those who are left are watching this generation and thinking, what have we progressed on? It doesn't seem yeah, like I much. So yeah. what are we doing? Needs to be, you know what I mean? So I think it gets co-opted, you know, it gets co-opted because people, you know, gravitate to it, just like Obama's very, very attractive. But as a as a a daughter of immigrants, I will be honest, Obama deported the most immigrants in all of yeah, his that's what history. I also heard as well and researched. I do look into yeah. And people are complicated, yeah. right? People are complicated. No one's perfect. I'm not saying that Black Panthers were perfect because they had their, you know, problems. I'm not saying that, you know, these leaders are perfect. What I'm saying is when you have a person who says, I want to do better and does the opposite, we're looking at Biden, our new president, who said for 100 days, I will stop deportations. Well, guess what? In those 100 days you've deported, and not only that, you've caged more yeah, kids than exactly. ever. He's got a bit of a dodgy history, hasn't he? Um, is it is it pronounced Biden or Biden? Yeah, all these politicians yeah, they, have a very, got a know, very... And I'm just wondering... Even if, even if Hillary... You know, even if we got Hillary Clinton, yeah. you know, I, I as a Latina, I have a lot to say about what she did in other parts of the world, you know, and, and how abusive she was to, you know, even black kids here in yeah, America and brown kids, she called them basically, there's a lot of you know, yeah. so and, yeah, and there's so it, much. Well, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, so thank you. Thanks, it's been absolutely <laughs> lovely, you know, um, this conversation. Aw, thank you. Well, thank you everyone for listening today. And um, I know it's, ending a bit abruptly i'm sure you guys want to know more please send us messages dm us if you want to hear more about this we can definitely pick up where we left off or we can start to a whole other topic um but i do want to say thank you so much vanessa for uh working around the time because guys we are on an eight hour <laughs> difference okay guys um, so I want to say thank you to Vanessa for being so open to the hours I was picking. Um, and definitely on my end, it's really early, guys. But um, thank you so much for being here. I hope you guys learned something. I definitely learned some. Vanessa already said she's learning. So this is just a learning experience. And that's what we want this podcast to really be about. It's to be giving resources and to make you think about things that maybe we don't think about often or we don't talk about often. Um, so we hope this is a safe space for you guys to do that. And if you ever want to come on here and be a guest just like Vanessa, please email us, uh, DM us on Instagram, whatever it is. We would love to have you. And before we go, do not forget 
to subscribe to our magazine, follow our podcast, check us out at latinachicaspeaksmagazine.com, check out our Instagram at latinachicaspeaks, our Twitter at latinachica1, our email for the magazine is latinachicaspeaks at gmail.com. Of course, this is Intersectional Convos. Um, you can Email us at intersectionalconvos at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram or Twitter, which is actually a bit different, Intersect Convos. Um, and Vanessa, do you want to tell them one last time how they can yes. find you and oh, yes. what you are, what you can offer them as well? Because you have yeah, your Yeah, right. So um, they can find me on, um, again, I'll just say what my web address is. It's www.soul hyphen emotive.com and um again just to reiterate i'm a, a musician and a personal transformation coach the music i do is predominantly soul but i do cover anything soulful so other genres as well um and um with the personal transformation coaching i help you to find your purpose and passion in life because we've only got one life to live and also to help you boost motivation confidence and energy levels and that's it. <laughs> yes. yes. So check her out, please. That sounds uber necessary for our communities to really engage with, especially while we're having um, the trials for George Floyd right now. A lot of us are feeling a lot of emotions. So I think finding ways to control or to, to root ourselves again is really important right now. Um, and thank you so much for being here. Please, guys, um, if you haven't checked out the magazine, please do so. We want to say thank you to Vanessa. We want to say thank you to the followers, to the listeners, to the donations we've been getting. Thank you so much. If you want to donate to our podcast so that we can continue to do this, um, please look at the link on our description of whatever platform you're looking at, um, and it should directly take you to our donation page. Please donate anything you can, and we appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you guys. And until next time, thank you for listening, and we say Bye. goodbye. Thank you, Anna. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Vanessa. Bye, thank everyone. You.